Contracts are always done for the rainy weather. When you are signing contract, you might be borderline getting married, but you want to put in contract everything, like you're hitting each other, you want to murder each other, right? But on the personal level, I don't say going over the line, inviting them to your house, but they are people, right? They're doing job for you. Yes, you're paying them, but they're people. I know from experience that hiring a marketing agency is a tough decision. Uh, but if you work long enough in marketing, you're gonna need to make a decision. You're gonna need help with content, with SEO, with design, you name it. And an agency helps you in an innocent to give you a team of experts to kick off some projects while your in-house team is focusing on what they are good at or while they are growing their uh, expertise and Throughout my career, I hired multiple agencies. Sometimes it was a good partnership, it worked, everything was fine. Sometimes it was a total disaster. Total disaster, and that's why I'm very personally, I'm very excited to be here today to uh, uh, to learn about this topic. Kick off for this discussion. Can you give us an example of a marketing agency uh, that you hired before like a partnership that really worked and you saw a huge ROI, you saw a great benefits after hiring it. I can give you an example. Um, I actually remember it to this day. It was 3rd October uh, 2013. I was working for uh, Google Canada in Toronto. And literally the day before our biggest announcement ever, Google was just announcing its first ever phone. We... Uh, we found out that the uh, the only baseball team in Canada got into the finals. So I'm reading the news and literally the match is on the same night and the same time as our event, right? Um, you, you can imagine how Toronto looked. Uh, the white and blue flags were everywhere. There were literally people fighting for the last tickets. Um, you know, there were, there were fights in the streets. Um, there was police on horses everywhere. And I was panicking, <laughs> like I was running from left to right, you know, figuring out what we will do because uh, in the morning we uh, we invited journalists and for the evening we invited influencers. And just for your idea, it was event for about, the event itself cost almost a million dollars and the collaboration, the launch of the event was $20 million in like paid media. So I was panicking and I was literally expecting to get an email the next morning that, you know, I was fired because nobody arrived. Um, and I saw a, a person from agency, I'm, I unfortunately don't remember the name, but I saw a person from agency on a phone. And because, you know, I couldn't think about anything, I was listening to his phone call and he was literally ordering pizzas. And then he was calling to Best Buy to find TVs. And I was like, so angry with him because I thought he's preparing for a house party <laughs> that he's, you know, he's inviting people to, to build a house party at his event. Then what I found out is that he was actually turning out our party, like our announcement party into a watch party, right? So fast forward, uh, the day after last people are leaving around half past midnight, half of them drunk, half of them fully stuffed with food and pizzas. Everybody rated it as the best event ever that they attended, right? Like the score was like 4.94 out of five, right? Like the sort of the dream score of Uber driver. And, um, and like, you know, I think very often I personally look at ROI of agencies as sort of a number to put in, but in that one moment, the person sort of put into work the experience him and his agencies accumulated over 20 years. 
And he later admitted to me that every time they're facing a crisis, they're like, okay, so we have an issue. The issue is that usually the people visiting the event want something else or something else breaks. So let's give it to them. Right. And I, in no word, could come up with it within the 36 hours that was remaining. So that was probably the best of all. Purely by rating, it was the best event that I ever participated on working on. Uh, it was the best event that, you know, I ever had the luck on working on. And and in that one moment, the agency paid every single dollar that we pay them in fee. Like if I knew what they were to pull from their sleeve, if they would ask for double, I would have given it to them if I knew, you know, that this is going to happen. So, yeah. Like I think for me that tells me two things. Number one, that you actually choose a right agency. I think this is a very important part of the success of this partnership. But the second thing as well is a trust. If you can actually trust them to make the right decision at the right time, the decision that you, you yourself might not be able to make just because you don't have the same expertise that the agency has because like they accumulate a lot of experience, not from one person, but from multiple people yep. into one, uh, into a place. A quick introduction about, uh, about Jan, uh, Gimriff. It's a little bit difficult to make it uh, quick. Uh, Honza worked for uh, Google for about 10 years in, uh, in Canada and also here in, uh, in, the, Prague, uh, in the Prague office. Uh, if you still remember Google Bus, that was uh, a brother they had. He was responsible for promoting that in Czech Republic. That tells you I'm a very successful marketer. <laughs> yes, maybe, maybe it's really everywhere else, but not in Czechoslovakia. Uh, but he was also responsible, like he was the head of marketing for uh, Google Play and uh, the whole of uh, CEE uh, in uh, Central uh, Eastern uh, Europe. And in Canada, he was, uh, uh, as he was mentioning, like as he was head of marketing for the hardware of uh, Google products, so uh, Google Chromebooks, Google Pixel, uh, and Google Home. Uh, and right now, he is the CMO of uh, Gemi, uh, which uh, I hope you're gonna tell us a little bit about that. But my first question actually is not coming from myself, but from uh, a friend, Martin uh, Svoboda, who actually is, uh, he's working at Google. And when I told him that I would be interviewing Hansa, he told me, yeah, I need you to ask, me, to ask him a question. How's it like not working for Google? Okay. Thank you very much for any future uh, inquiries. Please address them to Leo, my PR manager. Clearly, he can describe me much better than I can myself. Martin, thank you. Uh, <laughs> so this is my first time I left Google. So I left Google twice. Um, I left and I came back and I left again, always on my own will. Maybe the first time they will kick me out, who knows? Um, honestly, when I was leaving for the first time or on, on the second time, I wasn't really thinking about it because I knew what I was getting into. The first time I was mostly thinking about the benefits, like I'm gonna miss the benefits because obviously it's a very comfortable place. In the end, the what I miss the most is the people, right? The the individuals and sort of the culture. So I don't necessarily think that obviously Google with its unlimited pockets, it's easy for them to hire world, world class talent. But in the end, I think it's um, it's the culture of the company that I think it's really it's really it's really nice. It's empowering, kind of. It's like a safe space where you don't feel that you know any mistake will get you fired. I had a moment where I accidentally burned hundred fifty thousand dollars, like literally by a mistake. <clears throat> and I got a message from a VP of Google, which was like six levels above me. And the message literally said, thank you for the summary. Please don't do it again, Thomas. <laughs> and I'm like, let's jump to the time being. So you are the CMO of Gemi. So what's in Gemi and what are you doing there as the CMO? Without necessarily bothering you with boring details, we are a small um, gaming studio. 
uh, which focuses on hyper-casual games. So that's the type of games that you would play for five, 10 minutes waiting on a bus. We recently started focusing on blockchain gaming. So for the past two years, we have been developing what's called blockchain or crypto or web-free web-free games. I came there to build and now I lead the marketing team. So it's about 11 of us right now. My goal is to, you know, make sure we, people love our products and we have a lot of them. And I mean, not the products, the, the people playing them. So yeah. Nice. Uh, all right. So let's, let's jump into marketing agencies and I would like to start with the objection. I had that experience before going for, uh, usually the CEO thing, Hey, we need a help from a marketing agency in that specific, uh, in that specific field. And the main objection that usually comes from the CEO before the cost, which another objection, but before the cost, usually they come and say like, why not invest in our in-house team? Like why give that to an external uh, agency where we can build uh, 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 the experience of the team uh, in-house? So how would you answer to that, um, uh, uh, to that question? And do you think that company can benefit from working with an agency without sacrificing the growth of, of in-house? First of all, I personally believe that such a reply from a CEO is coming from two places. First one can be objective, meaning logic. He or she, um, you know, she doesn't want the, she doesn't want the company to stop growing. The other part and the other reason in my experience very often can be emotional, right? Because the bigger the company, the more important the CEO, the more important, you know, the com company will, the, the, the status. So, so that, that's, I think where it's coming from. Now, addressing the emotional part can be very dangerous. Uh, it can lead to very painful discussions and I would not go there unless you have training in negotiations or something, which I don't. Um, on the objective part, depends on what stage the company is. I think it's, if it's a small company, and again, I don't want to say what small is in some industry, you know, if you're a car manufacturer, small is until you have 10,000 employees in, in gaming, small is 10 people actually hiring an in-house person, um, is you know, can be super expensive because you might not leverage the person full time. You know, you, you maybe you, you think you might need the person, but then you, then you hire a video designer and you only leverage 50% of their workload. And then this, what do you do with the rest? Right. Then obviously the question is how you define the difference between marketing agency and a contractor, because technically a contractor could be a marketing agency of one and you can hire them for 50%. The other reason is, uh, obviously you can learn from those people, right? Um, it's, it's some agencies even offer two types of, um, and I found that really smart. Some agencies offer the type of work where they do the work for you or where they are their consultant when, when they are your consultants. Funnily enough, the being consultant usually means you have to do the work and they even charge you more, but they know that eventually they will use your business because they are teaching you the craft. Right. So those are to me, the, the two biggest thing. The last thing is if you are a really big company and I have a example of one Czech company, I don't want to name them, but one Czech established company, what they did, they found out that they had a, um, online marketing agency for performance, mostly performance media, really like, you know, conversions. And, uh, they found out that, um, they are technically employing seven, 17 people on the side of the marketing agency. They were such a big client. So they, at one moment they decided to like build the team internally. Uh, at one point they actually found out they built such a big, big team internally that they are not using the capacity, the issue of the videographer. Um, and what they did is they actually spinned off those people in a separate company. The company became an agency, which primary focus was to serve the client and the rest capacity they resold to the market. So they sort of went around it, but obviously that cannot, that, that takes time and it's applicable for big companies, but from the start, like 
agency actually can be cheaper. Um, and then the second thing is the knowledge, right? So, yeah, like I think one thing that uh, like companies don't think a lot about that the time that it takes to onboard a person, and this this definitely a cost, like it, and can take depending on the position that can take two, three, four months to actually the person to go up to speed and actually start producing the the kind of product that you want to do, and in that sense, actually the agency can be way more effective, more cost-effective. That's one part of it, but the other part is the value that you are getting. At the end of the day, again, they, they have the process that they implemented in different uh, in different companies, which whoever you're gonna hire might not have that, uh, uh, that expertise. If I have a company right now, when when do you think I should hire an agency? Like what, what triggers the needs to hire an agency? Um, I personally think there are two reasons to hire agency. Um, one of them is you need somebody to do job that you don't have time or capacity to do. So it's potentially something that you, you can do, but you just need to externalize it. Uh, or, or the task just became so big that let's, let's say you have a paid media. We are in that situation. We have a paid media manager. Um, he, he has the skill to all the, do the things that we need, but he just doesn't have the time. And we just decided not to build the team anymore. We sort of use him as an external expert and he's leading external agencies who work for him, for us. The second reason is expertise, right? Which I think is very often, um, like how many companies are big enough that they can host an in-house uh, events team. And usually you do have events manager, but by events team, I mean like a specialist on venues, specialist on catering, that that's usually unthinkable. So almost always when you are organizing, event of a certain size, you go for external partner. So again, I think the two reasons, very binary is either capacity or the knowledge. It can be, in ideal scenario, it can be both, right? An ideal scenario, like you sort of know that you could potentially build it internally, but you don't have the knowledge. And as you're saying, right, like bringing on agency is much faster. Also, if you choose the right agency at that point, you don't necessarily have to care about scaling. So uh, if you suddenly come to an agency and you say, you know what, we want to double your business, Usually they're happy and they just start scrambling to deliver and they do, uh, while internally it means, oh, I need to hire two more people. And, you know, in car well, in current market, I don't know, but like it will take you a couple months. Definitely. Uh, and so if you do take that decision to hire an agency, what, what are sort of the steps that you need to prepare yourself before actually going outside and start searching for an agency? Is there some specific steps that you think the company, or at least the department, to uh, uh, to prepare at the beginning. Um, I think there are, there are many, but um, the the sort of two that come top of my mind. Uh, the first one is like realize what is your budget, right? Are you paying the agency? Like, is the idea is the goal you're hiring the agency because they will do it cheaper? Is the idea that the agency will do it better? Uh, is the idea that they will do it faster? Uh, because in the end, you might be in a situation where you need to produce a video. Right, tomorrow is a speech of CEO and it just last minute told you, oh, by the way, I need a six minute video which highlights the, the wins of our company. And at the point, money and money is not an issue. What you're fighting for is the time. So so you have a different budget. So every time I think you go to agency or, or either you're picking an agency as a sort of RFP or you're going to or already existing agency, I think the question is, what is your budget? Like with what is the what is, what is, what is the resource you're fighting most for? Is it the quality, is it the price, is it the time? Those are usually the free ones, but maybe there are other. Um, the other thing is, I think, really the scope 
of the agents, even before you start like thinking about who you might hire, it's like, what is the scope, right? And I think that's more, not just for the specific agencies, but I think it's a strategic decision on which specific skill sets or more um, areas of business you want to keep in-house. And I think that comes to personal opinion, experience, and the type of company. I, for example, based on my experience, would never outsource um, social media content creation and posting to external agency. Not in the industry I'm working on. Maybe if you work in, autom again, example, automotive, where the chance that you have a surprise announcement of a car, it's very rare, right? Usually the cars are in making for three years and you can start posting very, like preparing everything very much in advance. While if you're working in an area like blockchain where things change day to day, um, you, you just need to be more flexible. And um, depending on the type of the agency, either you have a, and again, I don't want to generalize, maybe there's a cheap and flexible agency. I haven't met them. But either you have cheap and expensive agency, which means they tell you, do you want our social media manager to, to be available to you until 2 a.m.? Then you're going to pay for them. Or, you know, our office hours end at 6, and then whatever happens until 6, we have to wait until the next day. So then what's the question? The CEO takes over the Twitter channel. Um, and even if you are the car company, um, and I don't want to like diminish social media agencies, like we use them for, for paid promotions and so on. But even if you are a car company, what if something happens in the night that you can you know, capitalize on, right? I, I don't know how many of you remember the, uh, the blackout during Super Bowl, which in Czech Republic is not very famous, right? But Super Bowl, arguably, and by that I really mean that people argue, the biggest sports event in the world, um, electricity went out for like <clears throat> 50 seconds, whatever, panic, <clears throat> people screaming, tripping over each other. <clears throat> and the social media manager of Oreo, they said, you know, and they have the phrase, you can dunk even in the dark, meaning like you can eat. He literally posted in the 15, 50 seconds, he posted, oh, you can still keep continue dunking in the dark. So, and, and you can't like that with an agency, you know, how much trust you would have to do social media agency, like what they will, they will call you with approval. <laughs> you know, can you approve this tweet by the time the lights are on, yeah. right? So going back to it, I think you need to decide. It's not just about the budget or, or the money or the currency. It's not only about, you know, the expertise of the agency. I think it's also about which types of um, skill sets are really crucial to you. They're part of your, not just your competitive advantage, but part of your company NDA that you want to keep inside. And which are the ones you're sort of willing to, you know, give away and, and let them do somebody, somebody outside. And I think also like one thing that's, that actually helped with me is deciding how long do you want to use the agency. So as you said, for example, if you are going for some uh, events agency, okay, you know that you're going to use them for that specific uh, event. But if we decide we're going to go for a social media agency, is the plan to actually hire them along for five, six years? Or no, we know that we just need them for one year. And in that case, we know that we need to, as you said, for example, take the um, uh, learning from them. The, we we want to pay for the learning because we want to do this activity for the long term in-house. So I actually, I think deciding how long gonna be, you're going to be using the agency, I think that definitely can help you in that choice, uh, how, how, how I going to choose them, who I want to choose, and also in the negotiation with it to uh, uh, be prepared so to what will happen after the agency Yeah, it's also then you completely differently structure the contracts and so yeah. on. So, yeah. yeah. How would you go about finding that uh, agency? But again, like, especially right now with everything is remote, you can hire an agency from anywhere in the world, right? Yeah. So the choices are like virtually unlimited. Uh, so how would you research them? 
I have never really, you know, we talked about this a little bit before. I have never really like used any other channel for finding agencies than, you know, searching online and then looking uh, either directly for the references or asking for references or like asking for recommendations in the, uh, in the surroundings. When it comes to geolocation, I think that really depends on what type of event or sorry, what type of activity you want to do with the agency, right? Because um, the things you need to consider is the price of the agency. So when I was working in Google Canada, we often hire for visual work agencies from Czech Republic because they were willing to do the same thing for half the price than the Canadian agencies. And that already meant that they are pricing us 50% more than they are charging the Czech clients, right? So win-win. Um, but because the, the time didn't matter, right? In some agencies, like if you, if you are to go for social media agency, I cannot imagine them being in a different time zone, right? Maybe one hour, but, but then what if they are working from Sydney, they might be the best in the world, but it's useless. Um, and, uh, the other thing is the, um, the more like a cultural expertise, right? If you are, for example, selling something which is very country specific, like, I don't know, let's say brand manager for Lucina, I don't know, just, I haven't seen, obviously, okay, you have cream cheese abroad, but Lucina is Lucina, right? And if somebody says Philadelphia is Lucina, I know people who will go for fight. Um, so you probably don't want to hire a German agency. You might, maybe their expertise is worth it but you need to weigh the benefit of them being so good versus you spending six times more onboarding them, them coming to Czech Republic, doing research with people, understanding how they feel about Lucina, what is Lucina, you know, why people hate when it comes in the soft package and it's crumpled. So um, those are sort of the things um, that I would consider. You sort of mentioned that they want to dig deep a little uh, into it. Uh, yes, they go on and do the, the, the online research, but you're going to end up with, let's say, 20, 30, 50 um, uh, possible agencies. Uh, what are some of the criteria that you can go to shortlist them before actually approaching them? Yeah. Like you already mentioned that you do location, yeah. culture, and so on, but are there like some, like, would you go, for example, and see how big is the agency? Like, if yeah. this is a, 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 a criteria for you? Yeah, yeah. No, de definite, definitely size and also... I sort of said it jokingly, but I had, I personally had a bad experience with this. If I open agency website and the first thing it says, we, we won low check 16 times in the past year. I'm like, thank you. No, because you're not showcasing the client's work. You're showcasing how good you are at winning awards, right? Okay. If they show it in a way, like this is the ad we did and it won some awards. Great. But if it just says this, I'm like, no, right? Because literally what it says, like, oh, sorry, but like that, I mean, you might be fine people, but the way you present yourself egoists, right? Like you talk about the awards you won, not about the work. The other thing is definitely size. It kind of also goes to the point of like which agency you can afford, right? There are agencies that I always wanted to work with. And in, even in Google, they sort of, you know, were out, outside of our budget for the particular work, right? In ideal world, the bigger the agencies, the bigger the expertise. But at one point, it just doesn't make sense. What's your balance between, you know, the expertise the agency brings or the speed of work versus the budget versus the size? So you can filter very easily, right? If you're going to be doing... If you're going to be doing a, a campaign where you need to develop just social media assets, you know, like promotional carousels, you probably will not go for BBH, which is arguably one of the three biggest creative agencies in the world. So, yeah. And once, once you actually start speaking with, uh, with some of the agencies, yeah. uh, what are sort of the, of the main questions or the main things that you that you're looking into while speaking with uh with its agency if it's an agency i want to work with for you know uh, agency of record or on record which i want to work with for five years like in-person meeting even you know in times not, not that long ago i would i would really 
demand that because I personally believe that if you're going to work with agency who's 100% quality, whatever the ratio is, but you only have a 20% likeliness that you're going to sit with them on a beer and be able to talk with them. And then on the other side, I have agency who's only 80% the quality, but I really have a personal, you know, sort of emotional fit with the owner, with the people. I would always go for them because I do have past experiences where we hired the best agency by paper, by case study, but we, we were not able to speak with them. Right. And then we were running into like, you, you start feeling it, right. It's not just about how you feel about them, but how they sort of get the, the, the emotions of your company or DNA of your company. Right. Are you like hardcore SAS, like software as a service company, everything's in cloud, everything's in online and they keep sending you Excel's attached to email. I mean, it's a small sign, but they're clearly on a different, you know, brain length than, you know, you are operating. So for me, all these signs, so again, I think there are objective criteria. We always did a case, I mean, case study, like, you know, RFP, we sort of pitched event, they, they prepared the event, we let them present it, we asked questions. All those things are pretty standard, but I think what's very much underappreciated is the, is the human, human factor in the, in this very early discussions. Like, I mean, I, I very much agree. Uh, I agree with that. I like, I had that experience multiple times before. And yeah, like if you have a problem in the communication at the beginning, it will remain. Even if you are just speaking with a salesperson and after that, you're going to be speaking with a different, uh, with a different team. It's still like, if you already have this problem in the communication from the beginning, this sort of culture fit, we can call it. This will remain. And, and by the way, following up on that one thing you don't want to do, or again, <clears throat> for, sort of coming from my own mistakes, you don't want to be bamboozled by the CEO only to end up with the account manager that's, that's in your eyes useless, you know, not judging anyone sort of, it's always about personal experience, but like, it might be nice if everything, all the presentations, everything's done by CEO only to be sort of, you know, you signed it with the CEO, but now you are being sort of here with the junior assistant account manager to the account manager. And that, that's your day-to-day -day contact that you know, you sort of, you were sort of expecting. So that, that's one question we always ask, like, who's going to be like, like I want from the very beginning on every meeting, I want to have the team that would eventually, you know, deal with us day to day. If you don't know, then bring us examples. I mean, it, it sounds kind of inhumane, but you, you don't want to just talk with the CEO. It's very important to meet the actual people that you'll be working with, uh, to, uh, uh, evaluate how you actually like working with, uh, uh with these people in general. Are there something that you always insist, okay, I would like to have this agreed upon before we start work? One thing which agencies sometimes hate, which means it's usually good for the client. I'm sorry if there's anyone from the agency here, is agreeing that the payment is as much based on performance, not on delivery. And what I mean by that, it's not based on, we will do a tweet, anyone can do a tweet. But let's say, okay, 70% of your payment will be based on the fact that you will create it. But the first 30% is based on a growth of the account, right? So only if we achieve certain engagements on those tweets, right? Because that, that's, anyone can create a tweet the same way anyone can create an event. But then the question, what's the happiness, right? So we, for example, had with one agency, um, it was agency on record. So we work with them ongoingly. Um, and uh, in their case, it was always that when we were doing event, from their total, first of all, their total fee was only payable after the event, not a single dollar before. We paid them every, like everything which was a real expense, like pay a venue, pay catering. We gave them all the money in advance because we felt it's fair. Like why would they pay for us? But in terms of their, their, their fee was all payable only after it was finished and after we did evaluation and 20%, I believe, I don't remember exactly, 20% was uh, 
um, like a guest rating based, not the number of guests. That's kind of, you know, hard to, but the guest rating, right? Because they know for who they will be building the event in advance. They know it's going to be for sea level. They know the market, like all those things they know, and they have to evaluate themselves. Like we know the audience good enough that within this budget, we can create an event, which is awesome. Obviously there might be things like content and so on. So it cannot be hundred percent, but even with agencies in areas where it's not common, having a performance based part, it's, it, it can be done. When you are dealing with an agency, do you consider them as an extension of your, uh, your internal team? As, as long as it's possible, like you should treat the agency as a business, right? But on the, on the personal level, you should have as good relationship as possible, right? And if it means, um, and this is from personal example, right? If it means that, you know, you're going to call your agency at 4 PM on Friday, which, you know, is, is slash isn't working hours. And you say, look, you know, I'm presenting on Monday, but I need to prepare all weekend. Is there a chance you're still going to like visually clean up the slides for me? And the person on the other side, because he has a good relationship with you, he says, you know what, I would love to, but my daughter, he has, she has this evening thing. And you say humanly, you know what, I'll do it. Just go for your daughter's stuff. Then very likely, if you're going to call the same person on Saturday, Sunday, you know, Saturday, six weeks down and they say like, you know, I screwed up. This video is not working. I broke it down. Can you fix it? This person will get up from the lunch and go fix it for you. Right? Not because it's in the contract. So I think on a, on a, on a company level, it's a contract versus contract. Right. And my friend, he, he says, contracts are always done for the rainy weather. Right. So you might love each other. When you are signing contract, you might be, you might be borderline getting married, but you want to put in contract everything. Like you're hitting each other. You want to murder each other. Right. But on the personal level, you know, as, as, you, as long as you can make it as human as possible, I, I don't say going over the line, inviting them to your house, but they are people, mm -hmm. right. They're doing job for you. Yes. You're paying them, but they're people. Like, I think that's definitely a mistake that a lot of people do and. I did that by this mistake myself and I was working with, with a PR agency before. The agency was not performing, so like they, they were not delivering what we uh, agreed on, what they expected from them. And I was I was becoming angry. And at, at some point, I just the, the CEO of the agency came, see, look, we, we are not going to continue the cooperation, just our team are not... Uh, 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 like they are not encouraged to work. They, they don't like working out here anymore. So like, I mean, the part of it was uh, a huge mistake for my side and I, I learned it from that. Uh, like looking at this human side, like when you're with the people working in the agency, consider them slightly the same as an employee inside uh, the yeah. company. Like you need to motivate, you need to motivate them actually to work with you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I was lucky enough that I had a colleague who told me that before the agency decided, but I generally think if you're dropping agency as a client, there, will, there might be hundreds of reasons, but if, if agency dropped you as a client, it's very rarely because of the money, because they structure the, they are in the business longer than you. They know how to structure the contracts. They have contingency. So it's usually that it doesn't work on a personal level and you're burning through their team. So maybe to fix this problem from the beginning, um, how do you approach onboarding the agency? Yeah, uh, th this is uh, this is a loaded question. We agreed on this one. Uh, <laughs> one thing which I uh, which I have done in every job where it was possible, not just job, every team where it was possible, where we started working with a new agency, or sometimes it was just that it was agency that the company was already working on and they started covering our team. It was, I don't call it onboarding, I call it immersion, right? So for example, when we were launching the phone, we literally invited agencies from San Francisco, from New York, from Toronto in our office. At the time we were at the luxury, we said, look, we're going to cover your flights, come in, you're going to cover your accommodation. And we did 20, like not 24 hours, like a full day immersion. 
which literally means in the morning we gave every one of them the phone, not gave, borrowed. We said like, and we showed them what the phone can do. And then we sort of send them in the afternoon for scavenger hunt in the city. And uh, and in the evening we, we went for dinner and we evaluated who had the most points and they won some prize. Actually, I think, I think the team who won, they, they could keep the phones. It's very different when your agency is just an agency and when your agency becomes an ambassador, right? I was just talking with the, I was on a training last week and I was talking with the person who's, uh, uh, who leads Bohemia Chips for the entire like Central and Eastern Europe. He leads like 1500 people. And he says what they do with their, I'm not sure agencies, but partners is they take them to the, they take them to the factory, right? Not, not just the products. They, they literally, they said like to new partners, we send them a full palette, like, like hundreds of boxes of everything we produce. So they see how broad it is. Usually they are quite angry because the reception are like, you know, come pick it up. Can't you send it up? No, it's too big. Come pick it up. And there's like 60 kilos of, you know, chips and nuts and stuff. But the other thing is that they, they show them everything. They show them how important is it to, to, to pick the potatoes. They tell them things that are like interesting, but nobody knows. Like, do you know that we actually have producers that produces only for us? And like, we, they have contractual NDA. Can you imagine like a potato maker with an NDA because he cannot tell that he makes potatoes for the other company because these companies are stealing secrets. Oh, he has a better potatoes. I have a better potatoes. And they do them full tour, right? And I'm saying that's exactly what you should do with the company. And I think everyone can do it. It's different every time, but for a company who sells online business, it might be that they they join uh, support calls, right? It might be that you sort of show them the magic. You bring them on a meeting with the client one by one. You pretend they are a new employee. There's so many things you can do. And I think that the deeper the immersion, the more you create really like ambassador feeling on the other, other side. And again, for event, three months, maybe not worth it. But for agency that you ideally want to use for three, five years, the best investment you can do at the very beginning. You also eliminate shitload of questions from them because then they will not ask you like, oh, do you also do this? Well, we know they make nuts because we received 16 kilos of them. And we know the camera is pretty good because we are taking pictures in the dark, right? So the other thing with that's like, if you do have multiple agencies, would you like connect them together? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> no, yes. No, the answer is yes. And, um, and until 2007, 2015, I would say that I would only do it for non-competing agencies, but I actually found out it can be done even for competing agencies. Again, they will not like it, but that's the part of the business that you as a client, like th that's the part on, on like, I think above the human relationships, right? The fact that the CEO doesn't like it, that's a different thing. Uh, I definitely think you should, right? As long as you can do, and again, it depends what type of business you do, but uh, if you really trust your agencies, and I don't think you shouldn't be working with one you don't trust. Um, I always love the the moments where somebody tells me, are oh, we working with something secret? Uh, you know, it's, it's a new release. Nobody can know about this. Our agency is preparing a campaign. Like, do they, do they know about it? Not yet. I'm like, what are they working on exactly? I mean, yeah, we share with them that it's gonna be car. But do they have like visuals? No, no, no. So what do they know? It's going to be a car, like, and they're preparing a campaign. That's going to be an amazing campaign, right? Because it's so secret, you don't even trust your agency. And yes, there might be leaks, but then why would you work with them? So yeah, definitely bring the agencies together, connect them. One thing which I found out is that, <clears throat> again, if you sort of make it on a humane level, like you do a kickoff dinner or you do once every three months or once every half a year, do agency dinner, right? That's like, it depends on how many agencies you have, but it doesn't necessarily have to go in thousands of crowns investments. Oh, sorry, tens of thousands. Um, you actually found out the agency, sometimes they solve things behind you without you even knowing, right? Like you have a visual agency. 
Mm-hmm. And you have a production agency and they, they just you know start exchanging the files that have been already approved without you. Again, depends on the trust, depends how you set up the relationship. One thing which I learned from uh, from uh, the media team, which is the in-house sort of media spending team at Google, which I found mind-blowing, and I've been telling everyone since, so if you heard it already, I'm sorry, uh, you're gonna hear it again. Um, if you think about it, if you're launching a media campaign, no matter the budget, you're usually spe- spreading the, the budget across multiple channels. TV, uh, depending on the size, TV, out of home, radio, print, and then go to digital and so on. Imagine that you have two agencies for this. You have a traditional media agency, so somebody who manages TV, out of home, print, radio, and then you have a digital agency, right? Depending on your type type of the business, you might be spending 80-20, 20-80, 50-50. And usually what is being done is that you sort of split the budget based on historical experience, based on internal plan or whatever, and you say, you know what, you will get 1 million crowns and you will get 4, four, million, four million crowns. Now build your campaigns. Now imagine if you go to them and say, you know what, our budget is 5 million, you spend it between yourself, but it needs to work best for us. The first time I said it to agencies, like, there was a silence in the room for 20 seconds. They were literally looking at me like it's a joke. And when they realized the joke, it was like the moment where it wanted to start screaming, like, you can't do this while realizing I'm the client and they can't. But in the end, we forced them to do this. And what happened is that they actually had to work on the background, splitting the budget between the channels, while obviously knowing they have fee on top of the channels, but they had to split it in the best interest of us. So what's funny about this approach is that in the end, what you will come out is almost exactly what's perfect for you because that's the only objective measure how they can justify the split of the budget. And since then, every time I had it, I was like, every time I was somewhere, I was saying like, we cannot have one agency for online and offline. Let's have two agencies and let's pitch them against each other. Pretty cruel, but it works. It is. It is. And I'm, I'm curious, was that your idea? No, no, no. That came from a much smarter people who... Like we literally had person who the only thing his job is was like to buy media on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And in that team, uh, there was a person called Amenash Kaushik. He's like quite famous in these circles and he came up with this idea. I think there's a lot of CEOs of agencies who hate him, but he's really good. It's, it's, it's definitely brilliant. Things don't always work, right? So when, when would you make the decision that, okay, this is not working? First thing I wanted to say is that even when you are working with agency that uh, you like working with, I I would encourage anyone to do regular re-RFPs, meaning uh, it depends on the time. Uh, and if, for example, in the companies where I was before, they did it sort of organically when they sort of, when the team decided. Some companies, from what I heard, they have it regularly. So for example, some companies even do it every year that I found quite insane because it's a big workload for the team. But if you're doing, if you are a company like Škoda, and you're spending with your media house 200 million crowns, you know, every year just in Central and Eastern Europe, then re-RFPing them every year, meaning like opening RFP and inviting them back in, it's, it's it, I think it's sort of necessary. What I think it's interesting about it is very often for some reason, I sort of found out that the people don't want to invite the current agency. I'm like, why? I mean, they know everything about us. Well, that's their key benefit, right? You should realize it because if you hire somebody else, you will have to re-explain everything to them. So it's just fair to invite them. Very often the current agency might come out the best, maybe not for the price, but maybe they will only be 1% more expensive than the other. And then you realize you just paid, rather pay that than you know explain something to somebody completely new. So that's one thing. In terms of why, like why to end the relationship? Um, well, obviously there might be a, what we can 
you know, humanely and forgive, forget, uh, sorry, uh, sorry for my French, you can call a fuck up. Like they do something which is simply unforgettable, right? They, I don't know, they, they leak your phone and while it was a human mistake, purely contractually, just cannot work with them, right? It's just, sometimes it's literally that like sometimes they leak a phone and, and it hurts other partners who are working on it. We had that and then they just have to be let go, not immediately because that, that sometimes causes more damage than hell, but they have to be let go. Um, sometimes it's the length, length of the relationship. I usually don't, um, I, I don't, I don't think there's like a objective scale, like annoyance metric. If there's more than six out of 10, they need to go. And if there are eight out of 10, it needs to be expedited process. But I think it depends, it depends what position you are. But I think if you are directly managing the agency, it's good if you ask from time to time your employees, like, do you think they, they bring you more value than they sort of cost you time? Or if you are directly managing it, it's sometimes good to sort of look in the mirror or even ask other people every six months, how am I describing the relationship with the agency to others? Do I come from every meeting and like, you know, then maybe not working or they just say, you know, it's like normal. Sometimes you complain, sometimes you don't, but so I, I don't think there's an objective measure, obviously, except for, you know, big, big screw up. Um, but I think it's sort of the, the best measure is um, um, sort of the mental, again, not objective, but mentally how much you feel that they are sort of saving you time versus burning your time. Because in the end, agency always has to save your time, right? So. Great. And maybe like a, a small part about approaching this, this decision. So, or, or you already did that uh, decision. How, how would you approach it? Would you, for example, give them another chance of them? Hey, like, I don't like how things are going. I am considering ending this partnership. And then give them another chance or we just, okay, it's not working. Let's end this. Yeah. I think it comes to like to every, any negotiation. One of the rule of thumbs I'm trying to follow is that when there is a good news, tease them, you know, like when you are announcing something good to your customers, like oh, something new is coming, it's going to be exciting. If it's a bad news, just rip, rip the bandaid. And at the point where you really make the decision, I think there are two things you need to decide. You yourself, I think you have to be very well convinced if the issue, if you are like fully hundred percent decided or whether you came there to potentially have a discussion. What if they say, what if you lower our fees by 50%, right? You might be decided, maybe, you know, that will switch you. So that's one thing. The second thing is the timing. And at the point, I think it sort of goes above the personal relationship. I think it goes to the company versus company. You need, you need to time it in a way that it hurts your company at least as possible, right? You need to think about, is it a super small agency, just two guys? If I tell them and I say at the end of, um, I know, September, that I will finish working with them and, and end of December while I look for another one, maybe they will say, you know what, we don't want to work with you. Like we will not, and then you're screwing yourself over. Um, or uh, or is a big agency where you sort of know that they will keep continue delivering the same quality because they just cannot lose the, you know, they cannot risk the rep, re, um, reputation damage. Uh, all right, so before we jump into uh, uh, questions from, uh, from everyone, maybe do you have some Final comments, something I forgot uh, uh, to, to ask and uh, you want to add any final uh, remarks to improve first choosing an agency and also like working with, with the agency. I, I don't think I'm that smart to come up with something that um, hasn't been asked, but the one thing which I personally think improve my life and working with agencies the best is to try to really treat them on a human level. Yes, they need to deliver. But the good thing about agencies is if, if a person, like if an account manager is not delivering, you don't need to solve it with him. You can go to his manager, right? But while with that person, you can maintain a human relationship, right? Like think about it, really think about it like, you know, companies are companies, but on the other side, 
you know, it's not part of, you know, agency A that's sitting across you, it's it's Peter or it's, you know, Nadia. So um, that, that to me helped the most. Again, only go as far as you're comfortable. For somebody, it means you're calling them by first name. For others, it might mean that you invite them for Sunday barbecue, but like treating them as, as people. Like in the 11 years since I've been using agencies, it never backfired on me, never. And maybe I was just lucky. Maybe there are sort of assholes walking around just waiting for this to happen, but it never backfired to me that I was like nice to them. It's kind of like the biblically you not know, turn the other cheek, but it never backfired to me that I was nice to them, like a human to them. Never, never, never. Great. So thanks a lot, Hansa. Thank you. Thank you.